All too often, we say that we believe in God, but the words we speak are contrary to God's Word. This message is the fourth in the series, Rudders and Roots. The message is entitled, Addressing Your Problems, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Today we're going to continue our series of messages that we've been involved in since the first of the year. We're talking about changing your words and changing your life. We talk, we're talking specifically about how do you address problems in your life? What do you do with your words? How do you potentially and effectively address problems that you experience? You know, in this series, we're really looking at the concept, the idea that our words matter. What you say make a, makes a big difference. Your words are powerful. And we could go all throughout the pages of Scripture. I could literally give you a dozens of Scriptures relative to this, but we're focusing our attention on James chapter 3. is one of our foundational passages, James chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, as the Apostle James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, reminds us of the impact of our words, what, what impact they have in life. We all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Yet if we're, un, if we're able to bridle the words we say, we're powerful enough to control ourselves in every way, and that means that our character is mature and fully developed. James says if you can control your words, it's a good sign that you have a lot of other good things going on in your life and in your character. And then he gives us some metaphors. Horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body. And the same with mighty ships. Though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it carries great power. James says that your, your tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. You have this massive animal, lots of energy, lots of strength, but it's controlled by a bit in the mouth, just the pulling to the right or to the left. The impact upon the mouth makes a difference in where that horse goes. Your, your words are like the rudder on a ship. A rudder, a ship has great propulsion, but it needs to be properly directed. And what directs a ship is the rudder. What directs your life will be the words that you speak. Your tongue is the rudder of your life. An undisciplined and uncontrolled tongue will create all kinds of problems for you, problems in your relationships. But when you, when you and I learn to control and discipline the words that we speak, then everything turns in our life for the better because what you say matters. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 is another foundational verse for this series. Notice what the writer of this wonderful Proverbs, Solomon, says. Again, Proverbs 18, verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power to produce life or to deal death. And when you and I learn the power of the tongue, we will choose our words wisely. We will sow good seed that produces good fruit in our life. God wants to educate you on your words. God wants to teach you a new language. God wants to teach you the language of heaven, the language that pleases God, the language that pleases heaven, and literally a language that brings heaven into your world. Think about it in your own life. How many times have you had a situation that was maybe intense or difficult and someone stepped in and spoke calming words and peaceful words and suddenly what had been a very disturbing situation now becomes a very peaceful situation. Heaven comes to that environment because of the words that are spoken and vice versa. How many times have you seen a situation where somebody says something and then somebody else adds to it? Before long, there's contention and strife and you've actually set the fires of hell ablaze by a conversation. 
Your words have the power of life and death, the ability to create heaven or to create an atmosphere that is hellish. The language of heaven, what is the language of heaven? The language of heaven is the language that agrees with God. That when you and I speak words that are in agreement with God, we begin to speak the language of heaven. Because you cannot have a good, effective relationship with God unless you agree with God, not just in your heart, but with the words of your mouth. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? You and I cannot walk effectively with God without having our words meet up with God's Word and come in alignment with God's Word. And when that happens, great power is released into our lives. Now, when it comes to agreeing with God and speaking the language of heaven, there perhaps is no more no, no more of a challenging area of life when it comes to this realm than when we're dealing with problems. So when a problem comes out or comes up in our life, we have the tendency to slip away from the language of heaven into the language of hell, into the language of heaven to the language of earth. We begin to talk about our problems in ways that actually make our problems worse and magnify our problems rather than beginning to speak into our problems that kind of life that can transform a situation. And so you and I need to understand how to speak the language of heaven when it comes to problems. And last weekend, I talked about a very important principle in this regard, that what you say about your problems matters, that how you describe your problems, this is awful, this is terrible, this is never going to change. When you speak about your problems, it impacts how you deal with your problems. This weekend, I want to give you one more lesson in this series together. One thing I want you to leave with today, and that is simply this, what you also say to your problems matters. What you say about your problems matters, and what you say to your problems matters. Let's focus on the word problems just for a moment. All of us have them. What is a problem? A problem is anything that perplexes you or distresses you or vexes you in some way, something that is hard or challenging or difficult to deal with. And the question arises, how does God want you to deal with things that are perplexing and things that are distressing and things that are hard to deal with, difficult to overcome? How does God want you to deal with things like this? And what I'm learning in my journey with God is there are two basic things that need to happen when you have a problem in your life. You need to talk to God about your problem. That's called prayer. And every time you have a problem in life, the first, the first court of appeal should not be a human court of appeal. When you have a problem in your life, your first court of appeal needs to be to God, that you go to God. It's called prayer. And so when a problem comes up, you talk to God about your problems. But there's a second element of that. You need to learn to talk to your problems about your God. It's not just enough to talk to God about your problems. You need to learn how to speak to your problems about your God. And that's the focus today. What you say to your problems matters. How do we talk to our problems about our God? And there are many examples of this in the Bible. I'm going to take you on a quick journey of four examples in Scripture of people who learned how to not only talk to God about their problems, but they also learned how to talk to their problems about their God. The first one is story of Joshua when he faced a very serious battle. Let me set the story for you. We'll read some verses in just a few moments. But Joshua had led the children of Israel into the promised land, and they're fighting all kinds of battles, trying to take the land, to possess the land. And Joshua gets news one day that five Amorite kings were planning to come against him. They had formed an alliance together, and they're going to attack the Israelites. Think about this. Five on one is never a fair fight. 
So here we have five kings, five armies coming against Joshua and the children of Israel, the soldiers of Israel, the army of Israel. And so Joshua feels very intimidated about this situation and he has to deal with it. So he begins to talk to God about the problem. Let's pick up the story now in Joshua chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. That's where the battle was going to happen. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. And so God, as he's talking to God about the problem, God speaks back and says, Joshua, don't worry about it. I promise you, you're going to have victory in this situation. Now go with me to verses 12 and 13 of the same chapter. On the day, this is when the battle happened, on the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. So again, he's talking to God about this battle, talking to God about the problem. He said, now we're going to hear some words that will directly come from his mouth, the power of life and death. Where is it? In your tongue. So let's listen to what Joshua said in this situation. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. And this is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar. The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. What I want you to see is that while Joshua talked to God about his problem, there also came a point in time that he talked to a problem about his God. See, he's in this battle and the warfare is going on and and, and the victory is going to need to be secured, but daylight is running out. They don't have enough time to complete the battle. And the only thing that would secure them the enough time to to complete the battle before nightfall is he needed the sun to stand still. And so Joshua, on the authority of the promise of God's word to him, he spoke to the sun and he said, sun, stand still. And there in that moment, the sun stood still. It had never happened before in history. It has never happened since in history. But let me tell you something. Joshua knew something about speaking authoritatively to a problem and God showed up and did something on his behalf. See, it's not just a matter of talking to God about your problem. You've got to talk to your problem about your God. There's a second story that you're familiar with. It's a story of David and Goliath. You know the story well. David was a part of the nation of Israel. He was not yet king. Saul was already was, was the king of Israel at this particular time. And David's father had sent David to the battlefield to check on his brothers to see how they were doing. And there was this battle that had lined up between the Israelite army and the Philistines. And the way the battle was working is that uh, the Philistines had a giant over nine feet tall. His name was Goliath. And every day he would come out and intimidate the armies of Israel. Somebody come fight me. Just send me one man. Let's see who can beat me up. And if you can win against me, then we'll be your slaves. But if we beat you, then, then you'll be our slaves. And so that was what was coming down, a, a mano a mano kind of battle that was about to transpire. But none of the Israelites wanted to fight him. They were intimidated by him. But nevertheless, David said, I'm willing to do this. And let's pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter chapter 17, beginning in verse number 40. I want you to see David's words as he goes up against Goliath. I want you to see that David not only talked to God about his problem, but he talked to his problem about his God. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's back. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. 
Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at the ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. So there's lots of negative things coming out of Goliath's mouth. He is speaking death. He's speaking intimidation. There's a big problem here that David is encountering. Now notice verse number 45. David replied to the Philistine. Now here we're going to see David say something. The power of life and death, where is it? It's in your tongue. So we need to listen to what David said here and learn a lesson from him. David replied, to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, notice his words now, today, David is now speaking to his giant. He's not talking to God. He's talking to his problem about his God. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head and then I will give you the dead bodies. I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here with note will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. Now see, this isn't cockiness. This isn't presumption coming from David. This is David speaking to his problem about his God. And verse 48 says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone, sl- stank, the st- stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head, the very thing he said he was going to do when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. There you see that victory was won in this situation, not only because David talked to God about his problem, but because he talked to his problem about his God. There's another story in Mark chapter 4 of Jesus himself. In fact, when you study the life and ministry of Jesus, you often see Jesus speaking directly to problems, speaking directly to situations. We'll see this in this example. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus talking to his 12, let let us go over to the other side. So he says, hey guys, come on, we're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. We're on one side. Let's go to the other side. We're going to cross and make a journey here. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in a boat. There were also other boats with him. Notice what happens now. A furious squall, that is a, a terrible storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So now we've got a problem. There's a problem that exists in this situation. They're about to drown, or at least they feel as though they're about to drown in this boat. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? We talked a bit about that last weekend. But here's what I want you to see this weekend. Verse 39. He, Jesus, got up, and what did he do? Rebuked the wind. So now he's saying something. Words are coming out of his mouth. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Notice what happens when he addresses the wind and the waves. Then the wind did what? Died down and it was completely calm. But I want to tell you today, there will be times in your life when storms will be raging around you and God is not only wanting you to talk to him about your storm, he's wanting to talk to your storm about him. 
He wants you to speak and address that storm and say, quiet, be still. For some of you here today, you're in a storm in your life and God is waiting for you to rise up and talk to that storm, to tell that storm to to be quiet. Actually, the Greek rendering here literally means put a muzzle on it. You need to shut up and stop what you're doing. Let there be peace in this environment. And the Bible says that the wind died down and there was calm, there was peace. You might say, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. What about us? You you don't really mean that we're supposed to speak to our problems, do you, pastor? I didn't say that. Jesus did. Look with me at Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, notice whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he thinks. Is that what it says there? No. He will have whatever he imagines. Does it say that? No. What, he will have whatever he says. So now we're talking about our words. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Here's, here again, I want you to see this connection between talking to God about your problems and then as you talk to God about your problems, learning how to talk to your problems about your God. Notice now in Matthew chapter 21, another example of this very same principle at work, verses 20 through 22. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did a fig tree wither away so soon? Jesus had walked by a fig tree, wanting some fruit from the tree. He was not producing any fruit, so Jesus cursed it. And by the next morning, it had completely withered, and the disciples were amazed that it happened so quickly. So they're asking him about it. Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Jesus says, you've got to learn how to speak to your mountain. You've got to learn how to talk to your problems. You've got to learn how to, to address the challenges in your life and address the obstacles in your life and address the hindrances in your life. You've got to learn how to talk to your mountains. Yes, they're real. Yes, they exist, but God wants you to speak to them about your God. So how do we do this? How do you and I learn how to effectively talk to our problems about our God? What I wanted to do today is is put you in language lab. Are you ready for some heavenly language lab? Okay. I want to teach you the language of heaven today. I want all of you leaving today having a little bit more of the language of heaven that you're going to be in church today and leave with the capacity to speak heavenly language for a moment. I'm going to give you six things that you need to learn to say when problems come your way. Anybody have a problem in your life? There's some things you need to say to your problems about your God. I want to give you six things that you need to address your problems in, words you can declare, statements that you can make, speaking to your mountain. Number one, when a problem comes up in your life, you need to to declare to that problem, my God is strong and mighty. He's a strong and mighty God. I don't care how big you are, problem. I'm here to tell you today. I'm speaking to you, and I'm telling you, problem, that you are strong and that my God is strong and my God is mighty. And Psalm 24, verses 7 and 8, listen to these words. Why don't you read them together with me aloud and loudly? Let's all read them in unison together. All of our campuses, let's read them enthusiastically. Here we go. Lift up your heads, you gates. 
be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Now read it strongly. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong, the Lord mighty, and battle. The Bible says the Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord is mighty in battle. So when a problem comes up in your life, what is the language of heaven? You not only speak to God about your problem, you speak to your problem about your God. You remind your problem that my God is strong and mighty. Say it together with me this morning. My God is strong and mighty. Come on, say it like you mean it. My God is strong and mighty. Think about that problem in your life right now, and let's declare it together. My God is strong and mighty. Come on, I believe there's more in you today. Declare it. My God is strong and mighty. See, you're talking to your problem about your God. The second thing, the second dimension of the language of heaven I want to teach you today is you need to declare to your problems when they arise, God, my God makes a way when there is no way. That's who my God is. He makes a way when there is no way. The children of Israel for many, many years as Hebrews had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, four centuries. Think about that. There came a moment when Moses, as the deliverer, had this confrontation with Pharaoh and the Passover was a part of that, and as, as that final event transpired, Pharaoh said, let, let them go, and he released them to go and worship their God. As you're heading out of Egypt, the children of Israel, as you're heading out to Egypt, they came of Egypt, they came to the edge of the Red Sea, and now they've got a really big problem because they can't go any further. Their journey has been stopped because there's a sea in front of them. Think about walking up to the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. You want to make it to England. You want to make it to France, but, but you've got an ocean in front of you. And so there's no way that you can get there. There's no ship. There's nothing that's going to get you across. There is no way to get there. To add to the problem, Pharaoh was now resenting the fact that he had released them to go as, uh, from, from his, his kingdom as, as slaves. And so he's coming after them again to bring them back into slavery. And so now they've got a sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. And so there is is no way. They can't go forward. They can't go backwards. They can't go laterally. There's no option for them. But I want to tell you today, our God makes a way when there is no way. When you're, when you're bound by a problem, when things get locked in, it seems as though there's no way out. There's always a way out with God. Because our God makes a way where there is no way. Look at the story in Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea. You don't do stuff like that unless God makes a way where there is no way. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. God makes a way where there is no way. That is your God. And so when a problem arises in your life, you declare to that problem, my God is strong and mighty and my God makes a way where there is no way. <laughs> Thirdly, when a problem comes up in your life that is intimidating you and threatening you in some way, you remind that problem. You speak to that problem. You remind that problem, my God preserves and protects me. This is who my God is. He preserves and protects me. Are you learning some of the language of heaven today? Are you in language lab today? Are you in heavenly language lab today? My God preserves and protects me. Let me tell you a story here and we'll read a passage in just a moment. There was a time in Israel's history after they had denied the prophets many times, the southern kingdom of Israel that God finally said, okay, what's going to happen to you? You're going to go into 70 years of captivity. It's called the Babylonian captivity. 
A king's going to come down from Babylon and he's going to take you captive. And indeed that happened. King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, Babylon comes down and the initial raid on Jerusalem, he takes away a lot of young people, young men to bring them into his service. One young man who was taken from Jerusalem into Babylonian service was a young man by the name of Daniel. And Daniel had three friends that we're aware of from Jerusalem and those three friends, anybody remember their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so now we've got these four guys, but today I'm going to focus on the three. So they all arrive in Babylon, and so they are Jewish young men who know their God and worship their God, and now they're in a foreign culture, a culture that is, that is, that is anti-God, filled with idolatry and all kind of wickedness, and, and they're now immersed in that culture. They're trying to walk out their faith in the midst of this adverse environment, and there's this time that King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this massive gold image and says, what I want you to do is every time you hear the music, everybody in the kingdom, you've got to bow down and worship the gold image. You've got to worship the gods that I worship, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego only worship one God, the one true and living God. I take a look at the story with me now in Daniel chapter 3. I love the story. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Let's stop there for a moment. So Nebuchadnezzar invites Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into his court and says, I've heard something about you. I've heard that When everybody else is worshiping the image of gold, you don't worship. When everybody else is worshiping my God, you don't bow down to them. And I've heard that that's the case. I'm going to give you one more chance here. The next time you hear the music playing and you know it's the music that indicates that you're supposed to bow down and worship my gods, we better see you bow down. If you don't bow down, you're going to face the consequence of being thrown into a blazing furnace. And by the way, there's no God that can deliver you when you get thrown into a place like that. So these are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. Let's now go to verse number 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. That means they start saying something with their mouth. The power of life and death, where is it? It's in your tongue, okay? So let's listen to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have have set up. Are you hearing what they said? Here they are. Now the words of their mouth are coming out in their time of testing. They've got a problem. Would you agree? This is a big problem. They're about to be thrown into a fiery furnace, but they say, hey, Neb, we want to tell you something. We want you to understand something because you, you don't know the God that we serve. The God that we serve is able to deliver us. However, even if he doesn't deliver us, he's still God. This is important to understand. See, sometimes we only want him to be God when he delivers us, but he's still God whether he delivers you or not, okay? And so they had this understanding. He's the God 
he's able to deliver us and we know that he can deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we know that he's still God and he's still deserving of our worship. And so we're not going to bow. It doesn't matter what happens. We're not gonna bow to your image. Now they said it very respectfully, but they were resolute in their commitment that they were not going to bow. Let's take a look at what happens in the story. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So now they've been thrown into this fire. Notice what happens next. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. He was not wise enough. He was not capable enough of knowing that was Jesus himself in the fire with them. Amen? Now notice how this, now this, everything is turning in the story. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the, uh, approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God. Now he's a worshiper, okay? Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. That's the God that we serve, okay? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not only talked to God about their problem, they talked to their problem about their God. Isaiah 43. I want you to read this together with me from the message paraphrase. Listen to what it says. Why don't you read it aloud with me all together? But now, God's message, the God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name, your mind. When you're in, over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Anyone want to claim that passage in your life today? So what do you say? When a problem is coming against you, you use the language of heaven. My God is strong and mighty. My God makes a way when there is no way. My God is a God who is able to deliver. He preserves and he protects me. And the next thing I want to share with you, the fourth thing, is that my God goes before me and he goes behind me. This is the God that I serve. He goes before me. He goes behind me. So valuable to know that when you're facing something, you had someone that went before you. They paved the way before you, and it's also wonderful to know that somebody's got your back. God is the one that has gone before you in every realm of your life, and God is the one that comes behind you. He has your back. Deuteronomy 31, 11, verse 8 says, The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Isaiah 52, 12. Listen to this. Go in confidence and grace. No rushing. No frantic escape. There's no need to be anxious. The eternal one goes before you and... 
behind you. The God of Israel paves the way with assurance and strength. He watches your back. So when you have a problem that comes your way, your declaration, you say to your problem, my God goes before me and my God goes behind me. And number five, my God fights battles for me. Are you learning some language this morning? Are you getting an artillery to speak against the problems in your life? My God fights battles for me. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, lay out the story for you so you'll understand what's going on here. Little tribe of Judah. This was a time when the kingdom of Israel had been divided. There were ten tribes to the north and two little tribes to the south. Very small little tribes. And the king of Judah was a king called Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat got news that three armies were forming an alliance against him. Very much like Joshua. Joshua had five armies against him. Jehoshaphat now has three armies coming against him. So it's three against one. He becomes very concerned about it. He calls fasting and prayer for all the, 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 the tribes of Judah. And they come together, start fasting and praying. They start talking to God about their problem. Okay, they're talking to God about the problem. God shows up with a prophet. A prophet shows up on the scene and the prophet speaks very clear words. I want to read for you in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse number 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, this is the prophet, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and a descendant of Asaph. There's a lot of reasons all those names are given there, but he's part of the Levitical tribe. So he's a prophetic He has a prophetic statement he's about to make as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. What kind of an army? So it's a big deal here. Okay, It's not a little bitty bitty problem. This is a big problem. Don't be discouraged, afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, here are the instructions. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So now they've had this prophetic statement. This is what you're to do. Go out. God's going to fight the battle. Now, part of what I haven't read for you here today is another aspect of the instruction. The instruction was get a group of singers and put them in front of the army, and they're going to go out and sing first. They're going to sing one little chorus, give thanks to the Lord, His love endures forever. So say that with me. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. So they're to go out singing in front of the army and you just march out and the choir's out in front singing, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. That's the battle plan. That's the strategy. And you watch what God will do for you. So now here we go to the story of the very day when the battle transpired. As they began to sing and pray, stop there for a moment. As they began to sing, when you sing, you sing lyrics. What are lyrics? Lyrics are Come on, what are lyrics? Lyrics are words. Where's the power of life and death? In your tongue. And so now they begin to speak or sing, uh, uh, declare words that are based upon the promise of God. As they begin to sing and promise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. When you're facing an enemy in your life, a problem in your life, say to your problem, my God fights battles for me. Then number five, or number six, I should say, my God scatters my enemies. Some of you are real excited about that one, okay? (laughs) My God scatters my enemies. 
Psalm 18, we're going to read a portion of it in just a moment, but I want to tell you that Psalm 18 is one of my favorite psalms. I love all the 150 psalms in the Bible, but Psalm 18 is an amazing psalm. It's written at a time when David was not yet king. He was being pursued by King Saul. Saul wanted to destroy him. He had lots of enemies that were trying to take him out. So David is running through the wilderness of Judah, and he's going through this time in his life of great potential fear and, 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 and devastation, and t- taking actually a, a threat, threatening of his own life. And verse 6 of Psalm 18, a great passage. I encourage you to read the entire Psalm, Psalm 18. Let me just read a portion of it for you. In verse, eight, verse 6, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. You, you hear the pain in his heart? In my distress. Distress is a strong Hebrew word. I called to the Lord. I prayed. I talked to God about my problem. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. David said, I was crying out of my pain. This problem was intensifying for me. Saul was about to get me. I'm running from every day of my life. I'm hiding in caves. I'm not sure where my next meal is coming from. I've got some men with me that I have to feed as well. I've got all these problems. I'm not sure how I'm going to make it. God, I'm crying out to you in my distress. And David said, God heard me from his temple. My cry came into his ears. And then verse seven is a turning point in the passage. Because verse 7 describes now how God responds to David's prayer. The earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. God wasn't angry at David. God was angry at David's enemies. Smoke rose from his nostrils, God's nostrils. Again, there's a personification of how God is responding to the situation. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness as covering his canopy around him. The dark dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. Don't you love the descriptive language of the psalmist here? The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. Then notice verse 14. Speaking of what God did on David's behalf, he shot his arrows and scattered the enemy with great bolts of lightning. He routed them. God says, I learned, David says, I learned something about God in that situation. God is the one who scatters my enemies. He scatters them. You've got some enemies in your life, whatever they might be. It might be the enemy of a habit. It might be the enemy of a situation that is intimidating you some way. You, you speak to that problem and remind that problem, my God is the God who scatters the enemies. The power of life and death, where is it? In your tongue. And it's not just enough. Listen, it's not just enough to talk to God about your problem. It's not enough just to talk to God about your problem. There's another part of that process. You need to talk to your problem about your God. Because when you begin to speak to your problem about your God, you begin to infuse life into that situation. You begin to see changes that can transpire because now you're in agreement with God. You're saying what God says about your problems and the power of God comes to help you through it, help you overcome it, to give you the victory that you're looking for in your life. Don't just speak to God about your problems. Say it with me. Speak to your problems about your God. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we've had today to study your word. We're grateful for the word of God, how, how wonderful it is, how it feeds us and nourishes us, it strengthens us on the inside and gives us the, the artillery that we need against the adversary. The word is the sword of the spirit. And I pray that today that 
that word that you've given us as it's deposited in our hearts. I pray that it would become, Lord, strength and life to us. I pray that we would begin to speak to our problems about our God, that we'll see victories that we never dreamed possible because we're in agreement with you. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.